You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. You know, we had a great week this week. I mean, a phenomenal week. And... um, Sometimes in ministry, I, I say to the staff, sometimes we just go on to the next thing so fast, but we need to take a little time and celebrate. I want some house lights so we can see one another here. And uh, we had the, 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 the uh, Global Leadership Summit, and it was phenomenal. And if you were one of the volunteers that helped, I, I received so much thanks for our volunteers. Would you stand up if you helped? Would you just look around and see who all standing? Oh, come on. Don't be shy. Just stand up. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And um, uh, it, it, just was, it just was tremendous. I also want to tell you, um, uh, we had a work and witness trip a few weeks back, and we're, we're kind of thinking we might do another one. In fact, we've got a couple of pictures. Let's take a look here. Here's another one. Mel Miller who is in charge of our, 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 our work and witness. And you might not know who Mel is, but let me tell you where you can find him. Back there on that, uh, you go out those doors and in that corner, there is an information booth and we've glued his hands to the booth. <laughs> so he can't move. You go back there and say, hey, Mel, I'd, I'd kind of be interested. It's a, it's a trip to uh, West Virginia down in Appalachia where we're helping poor people with some of their homes. And, uh, and, and so... You know, it might, be, uh, it might be something you might want to do. So he's just gathering some names for another trip. Well, did you know that in the United States, every eight seconds, a, a kid drops out of school. And every 20 seconds, 26 seconds, a, a kid runs away from home. And every 47 seconds, a child is either a, 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 abused or neglected. In every seven minutes, a child is arrested for a drug offense. We live in, an, in perilous times. I don't think it's any secret that uh, these are dicey times. A time when we, the church, need to be the church. Need to raise our kids well. And need to do more for those who aren't even our kids. Let's look at a scripture today. This is the second half of Paul's instructions to households. And it begins in Ephesians 6. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, 
Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, this is an interesting passage. I keep looking here because we've been having technical difficulties, but I think they may be over, so we'll, we'll keep that up. You know, uh, when, when Paul spoke to the Ephesians, you know, some might be reading today and say, well, why didn't he just cancel slavery? Why didn't he just say, if you own slaves, let them go, right? Well, in the Roman Empire, there are probably 70 million slaves. In Ephesus, more than a quarter of the population were slaves. And the economy was such, the culture was such, that to eliminate slavery uh, would have brought the whole thing to ruin and people would have just been, it would have been a bloodshed, loss of life, starvation. The second reason is Christianity at this point was such a minuscule portion of the society and really didn't have the voice to cancel anything. Um, so we, we find... Uh, Many of the people reading this letter were, were slaves. People were slaves in all walks of life. There were physicians and lawyers and tradesmen and craftsmen and laborers and domestic help. They were all slaves. Some were slaves because the country in which they were living was conquered and they were all carried away into slavery. Some were slaves because they were sold by their parents into slavery. Some were just kidnapped and inscripted into slavery. Aristotle said this, a slave is a living tool. So Paul doesn't call for the abandonment of slavery. He rather says, if you are a slave, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work as if you were working for the Lord. He doesn't address um, the issue of slavery, but he tells believers what to do to honor the Lord where they are. Now, today, uh, obviously, the, 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 the word would be workers. Uh, if you're a worker, these instructions are for you. Workers, obey your bosses with respect and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as Christians doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. So to the workers, he said, do this. Imagine that Jesus Christ is the one you're working for and work for them. Christian workers ought to be the best workers in whatever company you work for. They ought to be the best. Um, we ought to serve wholeheartedly. Uh, the, the, the Greek there talks about singleness of mind. This one thing to keep in mind, I am working for Jesus Christ. You might have a boss that is not good. Several of you do, I'm sure. But you're not working for that boss. You're working for the Lord. 
serve wholeheartedly. And then he says to masters, and now to bosses, and bosses, treat your workers in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So don't threaten your employees, which just makes so much sense because modern science has shown that uh, happy employees are your most productive employees. If you keep on threatening employees to get better, you're going to find that their performance actually suffers. We are to encourage them or to help them. And when a worker is respected and encouraged to do good work, they will do good work and more and more. And so when they do a good job, tell them. Recognize them when they do outstanding service, point it out to others. Now, this does not mean you can't fire somebody. No, sometimes it's necessary to do so. I had a mentor early in my career that said, Doug, your organization will be defined better by who you fire than who you hire. And there are times when that's important. And then he says to the children, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So let me talk to children. First, let me talk to children who are in the home. And his word to you is to obey your parents, to obey them. You see, because they represent God in your life. And parents, the reason you want them to obey you is you want to establish right at the start of their lives an understanding of authority. And if they don't catch respect from authority, respect for authority from their relationship with you, their whole life is in for hardship. They'll have a hard time in school. They'll have a hard time in relationships. They'll have a hard time in marriage. So they have to get the understanding of living under authority from you. My suggestion would be to draw as few lines as possible. But where you've drawn a line, make sure that it sticks. When you communicate something as don't do this or do this and it's not done or it's done, then there's consequences. And you have to make them understand the consequence and they have to live with it. You cannot allow a child to live in defiance of you. Because if they do, they will live in defiance to all authority at all time. Their understanding of authority comes from you and you've got to make it stick. Parents, the two things you've got to do is number one, they've got to know that they are loved and valued and purposeful. And number two, they have to understand authority. Now, if you're a grown child, which I'm sure we have far more grown children here, let me tell you what you might have already noticed. There are no perfect parents. But let me tell you, you're not about to become the first one either. 
<laughs> and, the, and the commandment, honor your father and mother, obey and honor your father and mother, uh, is the first commandment with a promise so that you'll live long in the land. Now, obedience has a shelf life. It says in Genesis, and so a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And at that point, when he establishes his own home or she establishes her own home, they don't have to obey everything their parents say. But they always have to honor their parents. You might notice um, that my wife is not always with me these days. And this is Debbie's week to be home, but... Debbie's mom is uh, 95 years of age and she's in hospice, but she lives alone. And um, you can't be in hospice and live alone. So Debbie is one of three girls and they take turns every third week. Debbie goes on Tuesday and comes back the following Tuesday. She goes to Circleville where she cares for her mom. She helps her shower, helps her get dressed, feeds her. We've been doing this since October. Is it hard? Yeah. Are we glad we're doing it? We are. We are. I love the fact that my wife is honoring her mother. She shows her honor. Now, what do you do when parents have not been honorable? which is the case for some of you. What do you do when your parents have been abusive or neglectful? Or manipulative. How do you respond to such parents with honor? As best we can, we honor the position of parenthood. And we pray and we try to find a way to show them honor. As adults, we might can understand some of the factors that have brought them to a place where they have been abusive. More than likely, it stems from the fact that they were abused as well. Where they've been neglectful more than likely because they were neglected as well. And we can find a way to forgive and still show honor. And then he says to fathers, and I, I think fathers and parents I think would be important to add, he says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In the Roman world, there was a law, and it was patria potatis, which means the father has the power. And literally, they did. A father had ultimate power over his wife and children. He could sell them into slavery if he wanted to, and no one could stop him. And in some circumstances, he could kill them. When a child was born in the Roman world, they would lay the child at the father's feet. And the father would either pick up the child, which would indicate the child would go home and, and be blessed, or he would leave the child laying there and walk into the house, and the child was either sold or abandoned and left to die. Seneca, a rather popular um, historian, philosopher of the Roman world, said this, we slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow. 
and children born weak or deformed, we drown. Fathers, the next generation depends on you. I have seen over the years that the next generation's spiritual fervor rarely, I mean rarely, exceeds that of their parents. Now the exception to this is when, when, the, when, when someone comes to know Christ and his parents or her parents didn't know Christ, then they're on fire. But if, if a child is raised in a Christian atmosphere and their parents are lukewarm spiritually, go to church and nothing else, Go to church every once in a while when convenient. Let me tell you what happens. Their children are even less committed than that. It's as if they are inoculated to real faith. And it's tragic. I've seen it over and over. And so he gives us four things to do in this passage. Number one, he says, do not exasperate. It's interesting, he starts with the negative, right? Exasperate, which means to make somebody very angry or frustrated by repeating and doing something almost in an annoying way. Don't do that, he says. Don't exasperate them. Don't make your children angry. I've seen this. You've seen this. I remember years ago in a barber shop. That tells you how long ago it was. There's a little boy in front of me. He had... Nice long hair. I mean, it wasn't terrible. And his dad had a butch. And he said, give him a butch. And he said, oh, dad, no. Give him a butch. And the barber was caught in the middle. Oh, please don't do it. Give him a butch. Cut off all of his hair. I saw that son. I saw him just kind of wind up. I saw the tears rolling down his cheeks. And just was, oh, he was so mad. He has to go to school. Everybody else has hair. It, it, it's important to a seventh grader, but he is, is all buzzed off. And, and I saw something happen in his heart. And I thought, dad, you won that one. Good for you. You won that one. You wait about five more years and see how that plays out. Do not exasperate your children. He says, bring them up, which means to nurture them. This Greek verb is found only one other time. In, in fact, it was in the previous verse where, where he said, uh, in the previous chapter, rather, he's talking to husbands. He says, after all, you, you didn't hate your own body, but you, you, you fed it and you cared for your body. That's, the, that's that word. Bring them up. You, you brought up your own body, just as Christ does the church. And then he says, and that's how you're to to treat your wife. We are to bring up our children because they can't bring themselves up. They can't nurture themselves. We are to love them and to cherish them and to protect them. We are to take an active role in their character development. When my kids were growing up, uh, I would spend an hour each week with each one of them. I wish I had them around home to do it some more too. And with each child, I would do something different. And there were some weeks we missed, yeah, but far more often than not, I would spend an hour with each one of them just to spend time together where I can nurture them. I could talk about what's on their heart. And then he says, uh, uh, don't exasperate them. Bring them up. And then he says, training them, 
We train our children. We, we find them doing something right, and, and we just praise it. We encourage it. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a, there's a word there in train. It's, it's an archery term. It's, it's, a, it, it's taken from a bow and arrow. And when you, when you made a bow in the ancient world, you would go to a tree. I can't remember what kind now, but a, but a slender tree had big, long branches. You would go up and you whop off a branch and knock off all the other little branches and tie a string here, tie a string there, and, and just begin to practice. And no two bows were alike. There was no mass production of anything. And, and if you were going to be an expert marksman with a bow you would have to practice with your bow, your own unique bow, over and over and over and over again because it had individualistic characteristics that were unlike any other bow. And if you were in battle and your bow broke and you reached down and got a bow of a fallen brother and began to shoot, you were in a world of hurt because it didn't shoot like your bow. It might go left, it might go right, it might go up, it might go down, and it would take you a while to learn it. And he says of children... Train them in the way they should go. It's, it's as if he's saying to parents, I want you to look at your children as the unique individuals they are. Study them. Ponder. How has God made this one unique? How has God placed his, his spirit in each one of them that is unique to them? And then pour gasoline on that. Help that to grow. Train them up. Part of training is, uh, is discipline. It tells us in, in, in Proverbs, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. It's, a, it's an act of love. As a father, the son he delights in. It says in Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We all go through discipline. We all are trained. And then he said, instruct them. He said, train them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. I love the Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy because it clearly places the responsibility of, of, uh, of godly instruction upon, upon the shoulders of parents. It says this, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. A kid's concept of God is born in their relationship with their father. So if your father was graceful, caring, loving, forgiving, admitted when mistakes were made, you have a concept of God 
that allows for his grace, understands his goodness. But if your father was mean, maybe was really good this day, but on this day he was drunk out of his mind and was just a demon. And so you didn't know what dad to expect. You grow up and your initial concept of God mirrors that. What we want to do as fathers is we want our children to know the father. And so we do the best we can do. And when we can't do better or when we've done wrong, we own it. I've said this often, nine of the most powerful words in our language are these nine. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And when a dad or a mom has the humility to say to a child, I was wrong. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Oh, that means so much. I remember a six-year-old little boy named Caleb who lived at my house. And I was unduly punitive with him one day. I didn't hear his side of the story and I punished him. And I thought better of it after he went to bed. So I went up to his room. He was in the top bunk. I said, Caleb, are you awake? He said, yeah, daddy. And I said nine powerful words. I said, son, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? This big old smile erupted on his face and he put his little arms around me. He said, sure, daddy. I'll tell you what, I I learned a lot about the grace of God in that moment. You know, the enemy has a couple lies he tells us as parents. One of the lies he tells us is, you'll have more time for your kids in a little bit. It's a lie. You'll have more time with your kids when, when you don't have to work two jobs, when, when this is over, you won't. You've got to make the time now. I remember when our oldest son was moving to California. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was his last Sunday with us. And I looked across a foyer of a room and I saw him interacting with somebody and I thought, oh no, he leaves tomorrow. And I remember journaling that night and I thought, where have the years gone? And I said, you know, I think I've done a pretty good job spending time with him and and really our relationship is strong. But I remember that there were times And I remember I wrote this little pithy sentence. There were times when people whose names I no longer remember stole me from people whose names I'll never forget. In that first church of ours, there was always a problem. Somebody was usually upset. I didn't know. I was a new pastor, and I would come home, and I'd be just all upset for a day or two. 
At that time, I wish I had those days or two back. You know, there's something that is kind of like an elephant in the room that I haven't discussed. And it's this. There's a lot of single parents in Allen County. I mean, a lot. More in Allen County than in many other counties. I mean, a lot. And some of you are them. You're a single mom. And you're trying hard. I think it takes two great parents to raise a child. I think it takes one phenomenal one to do it all by themselves. And I want you to know that I respect you. We do. And we are praying for you. I love this verse from the Psalms. God, he's talking about God. God is the father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. It's God in his holy dwelling. That's who he is. But how does God provide for fatherless unless one of us as fathers draws a circle bigger than our own family and draws another one in? How does God provide for a widow unless he puts that widow on one of our hearts and helps her? This is why uh, Lyman Community Church has several ministries in our community that are aimed particularly to the fatherless. They're not our children, but it's our watch, and it matters. I want us to close today in prayer. And um, we're, we're going to close uh, in categories of prayer, but let me tell you a, a story first. Dad came home from work. And as usual, it was pretty late. It was getting close to 10 o'clock, and he was surprised that his seven-year-old son was awake. He begged his mom to talk to his dad. And so they did. And the seven-year-old son said, Dad, how much do you make an hour? (laughs) The father said, oh, buddy, listen, go to bed. He said, no, Dad, how much do you make? He said, well, I make... $20 $20 an hour. He says, okay, okay. But the father had no more time for discussion and, and sent him to bed. After he was in bed for a little bit, the father thought, you know, maybe he was going somewhere. Maybe he really needed something. So he, he went up to talk to him. And he said, buddy, why did you ask how much I made an hour? And his son got real excited. He reached under his pillow and he pulled out 10 $1 bills And he said, see, Dad, and the father thought, you've already got money. Why are you talking to me about how much I make? He said, Dad, if you could loan me 10 more dollars, I'd have 20. And then I could buy an hour of your time. I want us to pray. If you're a worker, which is a lot of people here, probably more people than not, you have a job. You're a worker. I'd like you to stand. I want to pray for you. Would you? Father, some of these workers have great bosses. 
Some of them have okay bosses and some of them have scoundrels for bosses. And I pray whichever one they have, that they will work as if they're working for you. They will do their job as if you are signing their hourly sheets. They will work for you. I pray you'll bless them as they work for you. Would you take a moment and pray about your job? Thank you. If you would have a seat, I'll ask if you're a boss, you have somebody reporting to you. Would you stand, please? Somebody reports to you. Sure, sure. Father, I pray you will help my friends standing now to not exasperate, but to encourage and to love. I pray you will help them to create an environment where they work, where people can thrive. I pray you give them great wisdom on some of the problems they have in personnel. In Jesus' name, would you take a moment and just pray about your job and those you supervise? Thank you. If you would have a seat. If you are a child still at home, you live at your parents' house, I'd like you to stand. We want to pray for you. Your child living at home. Sure. Father, we pray that these ones know you as you desire to be known. We pray that you would place in each one of their hearts the ability to serve you. And if they go off the rails left or right, you would draw them back lovingly. Would they know you? And would you give them the ability to obey their parents? Go ahead and pray, child, if you would, just for a moment. For your parents, for your home. Thank you, if you would have a seat. If you're a grown child and your parents are still living, would you stand? Father, I pray you will help those of us standing to honor our parents in fulfillment of one of the Ten Commandments. That you would give us a way to do that and that our parents would feel honored will know that they are loved. I know that's much easier for some and much more difficult for others and I pray especially for those it's difficult for and I pray you will help them find a way where perhaps there seems to be no way. Would you take a moment now and pray for your relationship with your parents? 
you, thank you. If you would have a seat. I'm gonna ask mothers to, to stand. Mothers, if you're a mother. Father, I lift up these ladies. I pray that you give them the ability to create in their homes an environment in which their children know that they are loved and valued. Would the grace of Christ be so evident in their lives? And I recognize that some of these girls standing now are doing it all by themselves. And I pray that you give them extra ability and extra grace where there isn't a, a dad around. And would you help the rest of us as the body of Christ to know when and how to help? Would you take a moment, mothers, and pray for your kids? Thank you. If you'd have a seat. And fathers, if you would stand. Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers. You would help us all to represent you well. Some are still actively parenting. We have children in the homes. Others, our children are gone. But would you help us both to father well? And where it's necessary for some of us to go back and revisit sometimes and apologize to kids. I pray you give us the grace to do that. May we represent you well. I pray in the name of Jesus. If you all would stand for our benediction. As you do, I'll remind you, on your way out, there's boxes you can place your your tithes and offering, or there's a, a, a card in the seat back in front of you that you can take and text the gift. I say that because we're not passing plates, and it's just important. It's an act of worship. I also want to tell you that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as he wants to be known, when I say you're dismissed and everybody goes that way, I wonder if you wouldn't come this way. There'll be some people here who would love to talk with you and pray with you. My Father in heaven, you and your wisdom have placed us in families and you've put us to work. I pray that by your grace and your great help, our families would be microcosms of the church and how your love works. And I pray that at our jobs, we would represent you well and that your grace would abound. Bless these friends of mine. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.